Our Bible passage this morning, if you have your Bibles with you or if you have a smartphone and you'd like to turn to it in something like BibleGateway.com or if you use the U version of the Bible app is always a great way to find the scriptures on a smartphone. We'll be reading from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and I did this because of the fact that Jesus' final time with his disciples was on a mountain. And it was sort of a graduation. I thought of that in terms of graduation. If you think about what's the sort of last words you give someone when they go to something new in their life, this was Jesus' last words to his disciples. Because from this point on, they weren't going to have him around. Think of him as their high school teacher or their college professor. And now they're graduating. They're going to do life without the physical presence of Jesus, and they're going to have the Holy Spirit guiding and working in their lives. And so they enter what we all live every single day. From this point on in the disciples' life and in the early church, things are no different than they are for you and for me. And that's kind of an interesting way of looking at a text like this, because so often we look at biblical stories and we think these people are different, but this is a time when Jesus is preparing them and every one of us for what's important and how to live our lives and what's Jesus' final instructions. And we're told in verse 16 that now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What Jesus is giving is very clear instructions on how to do life. What's also interesting is, as I thought of the message for this morning, because next week we're going to start a sermon series on the book of Joshua. You can have a really easy way to get prepared for the summer sermon series. Read through the book of Joshua. When you've done that and you want to get further prepared, go back and read it again. The more times you can read it, the better you will understand the book of Joshua, because we will be doing that for the next three weeks, or the next three months. But in thinking of our message today, I went right back to a time in our life that seems like eons ago. I don't remember if we can all think back this far. Do any of us remember January 1st, 2020? Oh, what a year that was. We started the year out here at Faith Community Church thinking we were being quite creative. We were going to talk about 2020 vision. We thought it was unique. Well, I Googled it and found out every other church in the country also came up with 2020 vision. It was such a logical thing to do. And so we had all these plans and things that we were going to do in 2020. And of course, a couple months later, that all got shut down. And so we changed everything we were doing as a church, the same as the rest of society. And we sort of put aside some of that that we were talking about. But I went back and I thought about what we were going to emphasize in 2020, and I'd like to emphasize it now this summer. That does not mean we're going to get hit with another pandemic this summer, so don't worry about that. It was nothing that we did that caused it. However, it is important what we were going to be talking about to bring it back and listen to why I say that. Because for 2020 and now for the summer of 2021, I want us to just think very simply in terms of three, two, and one. That's easy. Pray for three people. Find three people to pray for in your life. 
Don't just think about doing that. Find those three people and hold them in prayer. Two is about inviting. This is where it gets a little bit more challenging. If we trust and we believe God and we believe God wants us to do things, then we also don't just pray, we put it into action. And now the invitation, it could be an invitation to church. You could invite them to come to a cookout at our church or come to worship with you or try lawn chair church. Could be an invitation to go out to lunch together or to go grab coffee. Especially if you have somebody in your life that's struggling, it's an opportunity to reach out to them and to just see how God is working in their life, or if they're open, and we're going to talk about that. And the one is to bring one, to not just invite, but to physically bring. And that, again, can be like calling up a friend and saying, hey, talk to you about going out for coffee. How about if I come pick you up and we go meet outside of Starbucks? There's a nice area to sit out there, and I just like to catch up on how life is. Or again, you could invite them to something at your church. It's about getting into people's lives around their faith and what really matters in their life. Because you see, every single one of us has things that God's doing in our lives, including people that we know who may be struggling or people that we really feel God would have us reach out to. It's important for us to know the Holy Spirit's already working, amen? The Holy Spirit's already working. It's not that we're so clever that we solve other people's problems. In fact, we don't. However, what we do is we become instruments of God to do his work. But it begins with prayer. It begins with legitimately 100% knowing that we are talking to God who cares and is active and present in people's lives. That's why as we talk about praying for three people, we hear passages like verse 18 where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. In other words, when we are praying and we are going into Jesus' presence, we're going to the person who has the answers. And we forget that sometimes. Sometimes we turn prayer almost into sort of a ritual and a thing that we do, and we forget about the fact that we're talking to God Almighty, the one who is a creator of the heavens and the earth, and the one who's already present in other people's lives before we even have an opportunity to talk to them. It's important to know who you're talking to. I have so many times in my life when I experience this. I, I think about the time when I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I was working at Wendy's, and it was the end of my shift, and it was time for me to check out. And so I was getting ready to check out, and a guy said to me, Stan, we'd like you to work for another five or ten minutes. Things have gotten really busy. And I said, nope, I'm checking out. I checked out, and I left. Next day, I came to work, and the manager said, you got fired yesterday. I said, what? He said, I had to argue to get you back as an employee of Wendy. I go, I got fired? He said, you didn't know who you were talking to when you were asked to work that extra few minutes, did you? I said, no. And he said, well, that would be the regional manager. It's a good idea to know who you're talking to. That's true in all of life. There are people who have authority, and it's important to understand that. Years ago, my daughter-in-law, Laura, wasn't my daughter-in-law. She was a college student, and she was in Ohio at Otterbein University, a small college. And she had hopes and dreams of being able to move to New England where she would become a school teacher, which if you know Laura, she's now a school teacher here in New England. But it was now time for her student teaching, and she had always hoped that she could do her student teaching here in New England. So 
If she could do her teaching here, she could make connections here, and then she figured it'd be easier to get a job. So she went to her advisor and she said, I'd like to have permission to do my student teaching in Massachusetts, to which the student, her advisor, said no. She said, well, can't you make an exception? She said, no. No, there's very specific rules at this college. You have to do your student teaching where it's assigned. She called me on the phone, all frustrated, and she said, I thought I was going to come to New England to do my student teaching. There's nothing I can do. I said, says who? This is why I went and talked to my advisor. I said, is your advisor the head of the education department? She said, no. I said, who is? She said, I don't know. I said, well, I have an assignment for you. Since you called for advice, here's my advice. Find out who the head of the department is. A few days later, she called me all excited. She goes, I was at a coffee thing, and, and they were introducing people, and I found out who the head of the department was. I said, good, now make an appointment and go ask that person if you can come to New England to do your student teaching. And make a very simple claim. Be honest. I came to a small college. I could have gone to Ohio State, but I came to a small personal college because I knew you would work with me and, and be able to work with me as a person who has needs. If I wanted to go to big Ohio State University, I would. So she went and she made that claim before that person called me back on the phone and said, I have excellent news. I said, what's that? Said the head of the department has agreed I can do my student teaching in Massachusetts. She said, the only problem is my advisor's upset with me. I said, oh, well, she's not going to be your advisor much longer. Don't worry about it. And Laura came to New England. See, it matters who you're talking to. It matters who we make our claims to. Jesus is helping the disciples and our high school graduates and all of us who are trying to do life to realize it matters who and how we pray. We're invited to have our prayer to the one who has all authority. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know what the word all means. All means everything. That means there's no one higher than Jesus. And when we get that in our lives, we now start approaching our prayer life differently because we no longer see it as sort of a wish list, but we realize we're ushered into the presence of Jesus to offer the prayers and say, Jesus, I'm asking, and I'm asking you to intervene in this situation. The idea of authority is the idea of owning something. You see, the word authority is actually a compound word in the Greek. It's exousia. Ex means from or out of. And ousia means property. So the idea is, as they understood it in the first century, and we really do have the same understanding today, to have authority is to own something. We talk about that in New England a lot. You know Robert Frost, the good fences make good neighbors concept? That means you put up a fence so you know what your yard is, so everybody else respects your yard because you have authority in your yard. But that also means that you know that you don't have authority over your neighbor's yard. They have authority there. So the idea of Going to Jesus in prayer is understanding that Jesus is standing on the top of a mountain, standing with his disciples, looking over everything, saying, folks, see all this out there? It's all mine. It's all mine. I own it all. And I have the authority. And if you're going to pray, go talk to the one who owns it all. Don't waste our time going everywhere else or trying to figure it out all on our own, 
because we just constantly make a mess out of things, and that's what we do as Christians. Rather than praying for our loved ones, we go interfere in our loved ones' lives, and then we create a problem, and it gets really bad. Or we manipulate and try to tell somebody else what to think and what to do, and they don't want us to tell them what to think or what to do, and so Jesus has a different way of dealing with it. Find the people in your life that God wants you to be praying for. Just name three of them. Find three people and just pray for them. Because when we understand who owns what and who's in control, it transforms how we talk to God. But it isn't just praying for three. If we're going to believe, we need to do something about it. We're, we're aware of that with everything. If I really believe something is important or something matters, I do something. I don't just talk about it. And yes, I pray, but then I also let my actions follow. So the second thing is over the summer, as you're praying for three people, get a little bit vulnerable and go one step further and invite two. Verse 19 starts with these two words. And you're going to memorize scripture this morning. You didn't know that, but you're going to. Ready? Go, therefore. That was easy. Let's all repeat it back. Go, therefore. Not very good. Go, therefore. I'm still not hearing it. One more time. Go, therefore. Yeah. Whenever there's a therefore, you see what the therefore is therefore in the Bible. And the therefore is since Jesus owns it all, therefore go. Because he's in control, because he has it all, now we do something. And what is the something that he wanted his disciples to do when he was no longer with him? What is the something that we want our young people to do as they're graduating from high school? What is the something God wants all of us to do is to go, to move, to not just stay in our own little safe bubble, not just hold all the ideas of God and, and our relationship with God to ourselves, but to actually put it into practice. The idea of going is really about traveling. And so a lot of times Christians will read this text and they'll say, oh, go therefore, that means I need to go to Africa or I need to go to China or I need to go to Latin America. Well, not necessarily. Sometimes the going and the inviting that we do is with people we know quite well. It could be a neighbor. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a coworker. Now, if you're anything like me, and I think we're kind of all the same on this, sometimes the most difficult movement that we have to do isn't to get on a plane and to fly to Texas. Sometimes it's just to walk across the room and talk to someone. We've all had the experience. There's somebody we need to talk to. Maybe we need to apologize to them. Maybe we need to just keep our side of the street clean. And as a Christian and as a friend or a family member, we know we've done something wrong and we need to approach them. And so, again, the invitation is kind of an invitation to get out and get beyond ourselves. Or, or maybe we need to talk to someone because they're struggling and maybe we need to invite them and say, could I have a prayer with you? It could be something like that. And all of a sudden, they walk into the room. And we sit there and we look at them. We weren't expecting them to come in. And we go, oh my goodness, how difficult it is just to walk across the room and have that conversation. You see, it's not about distance. 
Jesus didn't say, go therefore a long way. Jesus said, go, therefore go. If you're going to pray for people, now do something about it. And the thing that we do is we invite. We ask people, is there, is there something I could do to help? Is there a way that I could pray with you? Is there, is there maybe a program that we're having? We have a Bible study at our church. Would you like to come to the Bible study? Sometimes, however, it gets really hard, maybe because we're uncomfortable with something in this situation, or maybe we just genuinely believe the other person doesn't care. And we come to our pastor and they say, you know, Pastor Stan, there is somebody in my life that I really believe God would have me invite, but they don't care. They just, they just aren't concerned about spiritual things or church or, or anything. Kind of reminds me of years ago, I had grown up in North Dakota and I was a Celtics basketball fan. Now, there's two reasons why I like the Celtics, actually three. One is they used to win all the time. When I was a kid, every single year they won. Because remember, I was born in 59, so they would win, and then the next year they'd win a championship. I just thought that's what happened. I just thought they gave the NBA trophy to the Celtics every year. Second reason is my dad was from Massachusetts, so I thought it was really cool that my dad was a Celtics fan. And the third reason is because we only got one basketball game a, a week in North Dakota, and it was always either the Celtics or the Lakers, and it was usually the Celtics, so I got to watch them almost every Saturday play basketball. And I loved to watch Cousy and Bill Russell and Tommy Heinsohn. I was a huge Celtics fan. Now fast forward. 1983, I'm in Massachusetts. I go to my first church. I get assigned to the Centralville United Methodist Church in Lowell, Massachusetts, and I get a whopping 25 people who are going to be part of that congregation. We don't have enough money to heat the sanctuary, so the worship services are going to be downstairs. But I discovered something else in that church. There was a guy who had Celtics tickets. And he came to me as his new pastor, and he said, Pastor Stan, welcome. I'd like to give you a gift. And he gave me five Celtics tickets. Celtics against the Lakers. Larry Bird against Magic Johnson. Now, these weren't just great seats. These were great seats. These were loge. I'd never heard the word before. But when we got into the seat, Regina and I were sitting there. Red Arbach was behind us. And John Kerry was about three rows to the left. These were great seats. I called up my friend, Rich Gustafson, as soon as the tickets were given to me, and I said, Rich, you like basketball? You like to go see the Celtics? Absolutely. There's ticket number three. Now I need to give away two more tickets. And I called Dave and Carolee. Dave said, yes, yeah, sorry, I don't like basketball. Called other friends from seminary. Yeah, no, I don't think so, Stan. Yeah, I'm not really a Celtics fan. Called somebody else. Yeah, no, I'm not really interested. I'm holding Celtics tickets here. Like, I have got two tickets to see... Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, free, no charge. I'll even drive you and pay for the parking. I couldn't give away the seats. I finally found one person who took it. I had one last seat as we were going in that night to the, to the old Boston Garden. I saw a guy who was scalping tickets. I said, are you selling tickets? He goes, yes. I said, here, have one more to sell. And I walked in. Sometimes, no matter how great what we have to offer is, Someone else just might not be interested. We're not responsible for other people's responses. You can get rid of that burden in your life. We do not have to make people like the NBA. We don't have to make them like the Boston Celtics. And we don't have to make them have a relationship with God. 
We are asked by Jesus to pray for people and to invite and to leave the work up to the Holy Spirit. And when we grab that other stuff in our lives and we start thinking it's our responsibility, we get in the way because we ain't God and we're not the Holy Spirit and that's not our responsibility. We pray for three people this summer. We invite two. We leave the results to God. But then we do go to the last one, which is the bringing one person. That's an interesting one, and that's where it really starts getting uncomfortable for us as Christians when we think of how to do life. But Jesus does say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He's saying it begins with this idea of baptism, and so we need to understand this word baptizo, it's a Greek word that means immerse or to wash. So we don't physically have to be the people who baptize the people to do what Jesus is asking here. We just need to invite people and bring people to Jesus, understanding that he gives them a new shot. He washes their life clean. So if you knew somebody who's struggling with something with guilt, you can be very simple and say, you know, what I found with my Savior is I just give everything to Jesus and he just forgives me. Now you're bringing somebody to Jesus. You're just introducing them to him. That's what he does. He just washes us clean. He just gives me an opportunity. I don't have to carry those burdens anymore in my life. I've messed up too, but I just give it to Jesus and, and I'm done with it. He doesn't just talk about the baptism. He also talks about who we are talking to and who we are bringing people to. And here he goes into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, I know that this may not be popular in 21st century America, but we don't just bring people to any kind of sense of something good or whatever in life. It's about introducing people to God, our Heavenly Father who created it all. Jesus, the Savior who gave his life for us, and the Holy Spirit who works in our lives, the triune God. That's why we understand God existing in three persons, because God is the creator, Jesus is our Savior, and the Holy Spirit is alive and active in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. Amen? That's who we introduce people to. When we bring people, we don't bring them to Faith Community Church. We bring them to a program at Faith Community Church and say, this is one of the places where we experience Christ as we learn to love and do life together and grow together as Christians. And then when Jesus says to teach, he's really helping us understand that the teaching is what Jesus has taught us. To forgive people. To give people another opportunity. To let go of the problems in our life. To turn stuff over to our Savior. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You may be the only Bible a lot of your family and friends will ever read. And how you and I live before them is how we teach them who Jesus is. And it becomes bringing people to Jesus by experience Christ in our life and bringing that to others. But again, this whole process of understanding what God would have us to do in our life, to pray for three, to invite two, and to bring one to Jesus, is all incumbent and upon our not getting in the way and thinking we have to convince anyone of anything. Do you hear that loud and clear? That's where we make the mistake as Christians. We get into these arguments and these silly discussions with people that aren't helpful anyhow. It sort of reminds me of our most recent puppy, little Elsa. Now, anybody who knows the Cushings know that we have a boxer dog. 
If you don't believe it, go on my Facebook page. All it is is 100 pictures of our little Elsa. Well, let me back up a while. When Regina and I met, my wife told me that she liked dogs, I liked dogs, but there was only one thing that I needed to understand about dogs. She liked shaggy, long-haired dogs. Okay, so she always had hoped to have a sheepdog. Well, early in our marriage, we didn't think we could have a sheepdog, but we discovered Lassa Apsos, and they were kind of like a, you know, honey, I shrunk the sheepdog, like a little mini sheepdog. So we had our little Molly for almost 17 years, and she died, and I wanted to get a boxer. So I went to my wife, and I said, honey, I'd like to get a boxer. No, I don't like boxers. I said, but I've always wanted a boxer. But she's like, but I don't like short-haired dogs. And I said, yeah, but my, my aunt had a boxer, and I have fond memories of a boxer. I've always wanted a boxer. She goes, they're scary looking. I said, okay. So like any good self-respecting husband, I did exactly what a husband shouldn't do. I got a newspaper, unbeknownst to my wife. I looked up, found a boxer, little puppy in Cranston, Rhode Island. I drove over without telling her, picked out the boxer puppy, and said to the woman, that's the dog I want, put down a deposit. Now I had a problem in my marriage. However, I knew the Great Commission, and so I just put Jesus' words into practice, and I know that I don't have to convince my wife of anything. All I have to do is do an invitation. So I went back home, and I said to Regina, Honey, I found the cutest little boxer puppy. I don't want a boxer. I said, Okay. Would you at least go visit the boxer with me? Women, you should have advised my wife not to do the next thing. Of course, I'll at least go visit the boxer, but I don't like puppies. Story's over at that point. So we drive to Cranston. We get out of the car. We walk up, and I take little Sal, and I hand it to Regina. I said, this is a puppy that I picked out. Now, remember, all I'm doing is introducing her to the puppy. The puppy wrapped her arms around Regina, and she's loved boxers ever since. All you need to do is bring people to Jesus. It's his responsibility to do the rest. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to work in people's lives. I don't have to convince my wife to like boxers. You know, however, what's funny? After our beloved Sal passed away, she couldn't emotionally have another boxer because she loved them so much she just needed a break. But after our most recent dog passed away, everybody who knows Regina came to me and said, your wife needs another boxer. They're her favorite breed. Jesus is a whole lot better than a boxer puppy. Our Savior wants to get to know people. He wants us to pray for them, to invite them, and to bring them to him. And to let people here in our lives, you know, Jesus helps me in this situation, and all I've had to do is just turn this over to him. If you just try praying to him, you just might find it would help you out. When we start living our lives like that, we start discovering that the Holy Spirit is already working in people's lives and doing their work. I invite you this summer in our graduation Sunday to be prepared for all that lies ahead by praying for three people, identifying two that you can invite, and bring one to Jesus in whatever way that it means in your life you do it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness. We thank you that you care so deeply about each and every single one of us. 
And the loved ones that we have, you're already working in their lives. Help us pray for them. Help us to lift them before you. Help us to be invitational Christians who are willing to reach out to others and let them know what's going on in our lives and what's making a difference to us and help us do that next step of bringing people to you. Maybe that means we invite them to a cookout here at church or invite them to a lawn chair service or to a Bible study or maybe just to go out to coffee and share with them something that's been important to us. But help us realize that our Savior gave us the way to live our lives. We thank you for our graduates who have been well prepared for the next phase of their life and for each of us who you're working in our hearts to prepare us for what lies ahead. In Christ's name we pray.